0: Please stand for the reading of the word? Isaiah forty verse one through eleven. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins All the people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like flowers in the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice and shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in all his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of God. Thank you, Ken. Good morning, everybody.
1: Well, we are in the second week of Advent, and uh, I find it always just kind of interesting to reflect, at least for me, I feel the, like, counter pull of this, that in our kind of everyday world, we're in December at the end of 2023 and all the stuff that comes with the end of the year, right? And even corporately, we're doing that, trying to finish the year strong financially and uh, kind of attending everything that has to happen to the end of the year. So we're feeling that end-of-the-year vibe in our day-to-day reality. But in the church calendar, which the church calendar is assembled over the course of a year to follow the story of God through the person of Jesus, uh, in the church calendar, we're on we're in January, essentially. We're at the very beginning. Advent, which means arrival or coming, which is talking about God's movement towards us. Advent is the beginning of the story. right? Advent is the story of the God of all creation, the God of the Bible, Yahweh God. It is the story of God moving towards us. The uh, the story of God showing us what God looks like in the person of Jesus. And so I think in different ways, we're probably all drawn to this, just for what it's worth. Personally, this is my favorite part of the church calendar because um, it resonates with the deepest question I have about God. Now, I I think we all have different core questions so I don't think just because it's my core question it makes it your core question but this has always been my core question or to say what it's not my question has never been is there a God I know for some of you that probably is a really big question like is there really a God how can I know there's a God that's its own whole thing when I look back over the course of my life even in my most rebellious moments when I (laughs) that didn't sound fun God bless you to those who are volunteering today we love you and appreciate you I put my son in the toddler room today, so he's trial by fire today. That sounded like the toddler room, I'm pretty sure. So we'll keep this real short, God. Um, so uh, for me, I'm just simply saying that the, the notion of is God real, is God out there, that's never been the question for me. Even, even when I press against God, even when I try to do my own thing, I just always had this sense that God is real and God is there, even though you know, for others that might be a core question. For me, the core question has always been, what is God like? Right? If I fully surrender to God and I'm trying to step into this fully surrendered, unified walk with God, what is God like? And that's, to me, one of the most amazing parts of the mystery of Advent. Not only that in the broadest sense, God moves towards us, which is significant in its own right, but that God, th- this is one of the things, I think the Apostle Paul was particularly fascinated by this. He comes at it a couple of different ways that he says, in the person of Jesus, there's so many things that Jesus represents, but in the person of Jesus, we see everything that's true of the eternal God. Every quality that could be used to describe the eternal infinite majestic reality nature of god can be seen in the person of jesus so whenever we're doing passages whenever we're coming to passages that show us what god is like particularly that are tied to advent for me at least that's really significant so last week we looked at what's the most provocative of all the image of advent that god comes in the form of a baby so last week we looked at this idea of god's face shining upon us God looking at us, us looking at God through the face of a baby. So now we're going to do the Old Testament reading. This is the lectionary reading for today that Ken just read with us. And so I'm going to invite you to keep your Bibles open the whole time on this one. Because uh, as, as I was um, just kind of prayerfully studying, getting ready for this one, uh, here's what I thought would be, it's 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 not super different, the approach, but maybe just slightly different than how we would maybe t- uh, step into these. Um, here's the image I had. Uh, one of the, I don't do nearly enough parental things uh, from a Christian perspective where I'm doing a, a structured kind of thing that's something I can always grow on. But we do I do try to do something always around Christmas. Uh, when Christmas comes I'll have my kids we'll we'll read the Christmas story together. And then they're old enough now at 14 11 that I can say look I'm not going to teach you about this story. The story the story stands for itself, right? That this the story speaks for itself. So instead what we're going to do is we're going to kind of sit in it together and we're just going to reflect on it together. Right? There's not going to be anything in this Christmas story by 1411 that they haven't heard now, right? There's not going to be any like amazing, whoa, never knew that was in the story. That's not really where we're going when we do that. Instead, what we're saying is the story is beautiful, amazing. It is the story of God entering into the flesh, coming to us. And there's something always more that can be seen, like something always more that can be where we can be drawn into it. And so I think there's something to be said for just holding space together and corporately reflecting on something where, again, it's not. Not going for hoping to see something we never saw before, as much as maybe seeing the deeper meaning in the images we already have. So we're doing Isaiah forty today. So um, if you don't mind, Dave, just we'll just kind of keep this up, and I'll invite you to keep it up. Uh, this is a super famous Advent passage. Um, this is you know centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries before God will actually come in the person of Jesus, but this is one of the um, one of the most prophetic and beautiful and clear descriptions of God. God's eventual coming and what that's going to mean. And so what I'd like to do for with us today is just kind of make our way through it together. And I'm not going to be very teachy during this. Instead, I'm going to kind of keep pushing it back to you because I think these are largely uh, um, clear descriptions of what it is. So the, the, the hope for today isn't like, whoa, I never saw, I never heard this before. My hope for today more is like, as you sit in this and as you think about Advent right now, here and now, as you reflect on the meaning of Advent, that something will pop for you, that that the, that the God will stir something in you. And in 11 verses, there's enough material here where it could be different things for different ones of us of what really jumps out. So... It's long way to say, it. the short way to say it is, I want us to just kind of hold space together to reflect on the passage together. We're just going to kind of make our way through it and consider some of the beautiful imagery of this Advent passage. Sound good? So here's the one and only setup I'll do for it, um, it to, to give you kind of look ahead. The, the, the two sections we're going to really focus on is that really powerful image in verse 3 for 3 through 5, uh, the very famous imagery of prepare the way for the Lord. That'll be kind of part one what we'll reflect on. And then part two will reflect on verses 9 through 11. So this is a little bit of setup of the passage itself where we're kind of entering the story. Uh, uh, Isaiah 1 through 39 is a harder read just because uh, it is Isaiah sharing from God some of the realities of Israel's disobedience, the judgment that came. This This is coming on the tail end of the Babylonian exile, which was a horrible time for the Israelite people. And so when we get to chapter 40, a lot of people call this like Isaiah part two. Uh, this is where the corner turns now and where God is saying there's hope. And you can see in this first verse what the whole tone of this passage is. Comfort, comfort my people, says God. So that's just the kind of real clear cue for us that the whole of this passage is meant to speak to a tired and beleaguered and um, kind of feeling the weight of a really difficult era people. And God is saying, comfort, comfort. And then God is going to speak tender words to Jerusalem. Okay, so that's kind of set up. So here's the, here's the two parts I want us to reflect on. The part number one will be verses three through five. Uh, I'll read that again. Isaiah says, A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and the people will see it together, for the mouth of Yahweh God has spoken. Hmm. Now, when... Anybody artistically or musically does something on Advent, particularly through the lens of the Old Testament, this is often one of the passages they go to, right? This is, uh, I'm not cultured enough to know about Handel's Messiah, but I'm told that Messiah is built on this. Is that correct for those of you who are cultured? I'm assuming that's thats the correct. But I th- there's lots of pieces that are done on this. From a theological perspective, this is interesting too. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, not as much, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all use this exact passage to tell the story of Jesus entering into the flesh, uh, in their own way, in Matthew's account, Mark's account, uh, Luke's account. In fact, in Mark's account, it's, if you want to like just flip over really quickly, you see for Mark, when Mark opens his gospel account, uh, this is literally how Mark introduces Jesus to his listeners, is through this passage in Isaiah. Uh, uh, the gospel writer Mark says, In the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, is this, as written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, and then he uses directly the language from Isaiah chapter 40, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So I would invite us to reflect on this. When you see this imagery that was being used in a very particular way at a particular time uh, as comfort for the people of God, but is one that has kind of had a transcendent effect as people consider the importance of Advent, when you hear those words of God that in the wilderness we're to prepare the way for the Lord, we're to make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is the part now where I'm like really pushing it back to you, like where we're doing this together. You know, what? Uh, all the way through this, I want to invite you to work, but in the best kind of ways. I want you to reflect. I want you to contemplate. What do you hear in that? When you hear, when you hear the, the voice of God say that we are to prepare a way for the coming of God, what are you hearing that? We did a little staff reflection on this in our staff meeting uh, on Friday, and I, it blessed me kind of hearing people think about this. Of just uh, uh, one of them said like, you know, you kind of think of it's, it, it. It started off like kind of an agricultural image of like preparing the way for uh, abundant harvest that's going to come, <laughs> or somebody said when a helicopter is landing, preparing the way, you know, to make sure that there's clear landing for it. But what what, what in your way? What does that strike in you? What if you personalize it, right? We know this is for the nation of Israel at that time. But what if you personalize it? If you hear God saying to you this December, 2023, prepare ye the way for the Lord. What does that strike up in you? What is, what is preparing yourself for the entrance of God feel like? What does that look like? What does that stir up in you? I'm inviting you to kind of, even in your own thought process, your own imagination, to do that right now. If you know, Maybe... I try to always start with what it's saying in the passage who it's for, but then I do personalize it. I'll often say, I'll use, I'll use my name, hearing God use my name. If I, if I say something like this, if I hear God saying, Daniel, prepare ye the way for the Lord. I don't it always tends to strike something a little bit different. If you put your name on if you hear God saying, prepare ye the way for the Lord, what does that feel like to you? Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What does that imagery do for you? As you think about the words that Isaiah spoke to his people back then, the words that God speaks to us now as we're in the middle of Advent. When you think of that imagery in verse 4, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground becoming level, the rugged places a plain. What does that imagery strike up for you? If God is inviting you to be reflective and contemplative this Advent season, to be connecting deeply to the significance, to the mystery, to the gift of God coming in the flesh, what does that imagery do for you? I like verse 5 a lot. I'm, I, I'm, this, is, this is at least something that's important for me, but for me, I feel like I have to like work really hard during Christmas season to enjoy all the things for what it is, all the Christmassy stuff for what it is, but also not get all caught up um, in the uh, the music, the plays, the gifts, the, the, the shopping list, the figuring out the dates or family, all those kind of things, like to continue to remember, to, to continue to find myself, to enter the story in such a way where it's like, what is it, what's happening right now that we're celebrating God coming in the person of Jesus? What's happening? for us right now. This is one of my favorite ways, one of my favorite images to grab onto that, verse four, verse five, that the glory of the Lord has been revealed. As we move deeper and deeper, closer and closer into the 25, Christmas Eve, Christmas, celebrating God coming in the flesh, what a cool way to think about that the full nature of the glory of God has been revealed in that little baby. Isn't that something to reflect on? Isn't that something to think about? That the full nature this is such an Old Testament storyline that the glory of God is something that people couldn't fully see. Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I can only show you the backside. But we see that the Advent story tells us that the glory, the full glory of God is revealed in the person of Jesus and that we'll all see it together. Isn't that cool to think that that's part of what God's hope is for us is that as we do everything we're going to do over these next couple of weeks that we would see it together, the glory of the Lord. And not just see it together, but it touches on multiple senses. What does it say at the end of verse 5? It says that the mouth of the Lord has spoken, which is kind of an interesting mixture of uh, senses, that God has spoken and we hear the word by seeing the glory in the person of Jesus. All right, so as we just kind of sit in that first section, that beautiful imagery, in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord, making straight in the desert a highway for our God, God's hope for us, like let's just let's just remember this really clearly. God's hope for us is that we would see the glory of God through this. God's hope for us is that we would hear the sound of the Lord's voice as God comes to us in the person of Jesus. Does that hopefully stir something up? Does it make you say, I want to see that, I want to hear that? That's what I think I believe that's what God wants for us, is that we would see it and hear it. You guys doing all right with me? You tracking? All right, let's do part two. I know that first one is the really famous one. I love that one, and I want us to hear all that is there in this. But I will, I will check in, I guess, to say that it's actually the second section that's stirring real deeply in me. But I want to honor that God can and will work through any part of this for you. But I think it's going to be attentive of which part. I think this is one of the ways the still small voice shows up for you. Is like when you're reading a scripture, just one part of it just gets you a little bit, right? And you're feeling you go, all right, maybe God's like saying something to me. That this, it's this second section that's. Um, really kind of stirring me up. So let me read it again. This is 9 through 11, the last bit of this, and then we'll kind of do a, a reflective exercise again. All right, God says, you who bring good news to Zion go up on a high mountain. All right, so this is good news and it's meant to be declared loudly and for all to hear. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be steeped in fear. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God right so we're seeing really clearly that that make 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 a way for the lord make a path straight path in the desert we're now seeing god is made manifest through the person of jesus and so here's what's interesting these next two verses now we see two totally different ways of thinking about what god looks like when god gets here um each one interesting in and of itself but then pairing them together is particularly interesting too so verse 10 so now Isaiah is describing what it's gonna feel like, what it's gonna look like, what it's gonna sound like when God actually is in the flesh. What are some of the ways that we can understand who he is? So the first one, Isaiah says, verse 10, see the sovereign Lord has come with power and rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. So if we're gonna put a word on this, and this is the same notion this is getting to this one, it talks about make a way for the Lord. This is what they did for kings. And so verse 10, this is the image of God as a king coming with power, ruling, right? This is the image of a king in verse 10. So this is one lens for how we think of when God comes in the flesh. God comes as a king, so we'll come to that in a moment. Then verse 10, much more, much easier one to kind of see what he's saying. This king tends his flock like a what? Like a shepherd, right? So we get a second image now. First one of a king, second one of a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart, he gently leads those that have young. All right, so uh, one of the things that often happens in the Bible is we're given different images of what God is like, and no single image can hold all of it by itself. We have to kind of put them all together. But in this super famous passage in Isaiah 40, when Isaiah describes what does it look like, what does it feel like, if we hear the sound of God, what does it look like when God is here? And he gives us two images, the image of a king, The image of a shepherd. Uh, Now, I think we could just assume this would have been very interesting and maybe even uh, confusing or dissonant for people to put together. You can picture what a king is, and there would be only one king at a time, and the king was royal and majestic, and you never had access to a king, and the king was over the entire land, and the king had sovereignty and authority to make singular decisions that would affect the entirety of the people. You could kind of picture what a king is. And you can picture what a shepherd was, which in that time, shepherd was actually the lowest vocational job that there was, right? Your entire 24-7-hour job is traveling around with a group group of sheep, making sure that they get the food that they need, keeping them protected from enemies. So you can picture what a shepherd is. Putting them together would not have been an intuitive exercise to say that God is a king and a shepherd. So let's let's, let's think of what each one of these kind of speaks to. And I'm, again, inviting you to be very personal in it. What would it mean for you? Um, and then kind of finish up by saying how we hold them together. So verse 10, we have this image of a king. So this is always, I, even though the kingdom of God is such a central theme in the New Testament, it's always going to be an image that's a little bit elusive for us because we don't have kings and queens anymore other than symbolically in like England or something. So it's not the everyday experience, but if we ask what is it that God? what is it that we're being invited to consider that God is coming as a king? This is one case in where I think going back to that opening image helps us see what kingliness, right? Now, you could be a bad king, and that's no good for anybody, but a good king made a huge difference, right? A good king brought justice. A good king brought equity. A good king brought uh, abundance for the people. A good king brought protection, right? A good king would create an atmosphere where people could really thrive. And so this is indeed one of the... uh, this this is where I'd go back to verse 4, if we can kind of go back and forth between these two. One of the most evocative images of the kingliness of Jesus through Advent, when Isaiah says, Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged place is a plain. This, to me, is like one of the clearest descriptions of what it means that God comes as a king. That And remember, this is a psalm of comfort particularly for those in the first half of this. In verse 4, when it says, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain will be made low. At this point in time, are the Israelites in a valley or are they on a mountaintop? They're for sure in a valley, right? And so this notion that the king will take every valley, you know, these places of suffering and struggle and despair, and will lift up the valley and raise it up to a point of equality, of equity, of flourishing... That's really comforting good news, right? Maybe it's not as exciting of a news if you're on the top of the mountain <laughs> when you hear this point. Maybe it's not quite, although I would say there's a differentiation. It's, it, it, a lot of this depends on how you got to the top of the mountain, right? Because I think what God is showing is that what God is saying here is that, yes, there are going to be times where places like it seems like the Babylons of the world, these evil superpowers, there's going to be times where it feels like they're winning. And yes, they feel like it, there's going to be long grueling periods where it feels like there's going to be no end to evil having its day, to people who have human access to power, flaunting it, using it, recklessly, taking advantage of it, and where a whole bunch of people are in a valley that is a human-made valley that is the other end of justice and oppression. Right, But when... When this image of God as king, the sovereign Lord, comes with power, what Isaiah is pointing the people to is that it's a, it's, a, it's a word of comfort, that it may seem like the Babylons of the world are too powerful to take down, but when the power of the Lord is made manifest, valleys will be raised up, mountains will be lowered. All right? now, I'd invite you just for a moment to sit in that. Right, We can see why that would have been a word of comfort for the people of Israel. And just take a moment in your own way. Why is that a word of comfort here and now? How is the notion of Jesus coming as king and ushering in his kingdom, how and why is that good news for us as we reflect on Advent? If we think of being on the other side now, we've prepared the way and we see that God is here and we're experiencing the fruits of being in relationship with God, why is that good news that God is king? I'm not going to answer this anymore. I gave you my thoughts. This is now for your own reflection I'm just asking that question, but I'd encourage you. Why is it so important in this Isaiah account that Isaiah says is first God in the flesh is going to come as king? Why is that such good news that mountaintops will be low, that valleys will be lifted up, that rough ground shall be made level, that rugged place made, a plain filled with abundant access? All right, I mean, I think this is, this is the first image that Isaiah is giving us is that there's comfort in knowing that when God comes, it's not going to be in an elusive, abstract kind of a way. There's going to be an impact that's felt like when a good king has authority. There's going to be a lifting up of places that have been trampled down. There's going to be an equalizing of places that have been unequal up to this moment. Really cool imagery. And then just as you're starting to wrap your head around that of God as a king, then switches metaphors and introduces a whole new kind of host of cool things about what it will feel like when... God enters into the human experience that that God in the flesh, Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus yet, but we, looking back, know this is Jesus. Jesus will tend his flock like a shepherd. Jesus will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So... Kind of in our last bit of this, as we reflect together on this famous and beautiful Advent passage, what is the hope? What is the comfort in remembering that when God shows up, it's not just abstract, it's not just this intellectual idea that there is a shepherding component that 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 God showing up, once you prepare the way in your heart, in your life, when you've when you prepared the way, when God shows up, you'll feel shepherded. Now, that's not an unfamiliar image. I started by saying that these are not, oh, wow, I've never heard this before. Jesus often calls himself the good shepherd. This is the center of the Psalms, Lord Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But just let's just think on this together for a moment. What is What was the significance for them? What is the significance for us to think of God coming as a shepherd?
0: Hmm.
1: Like, what are the things a shepherd does? All right, I'm not trying to be, like, mysterious here. I'm trying to, like, really help us to think through this for ourselves. What are the things a shepherd does? A shepherd is present, right? A shepherd is present all the time with the shepherd's sheep. Right? This is one of the ways Jesus has talked about, that, God, that Jesus is Emmanuel, right? God with us, the nearness of God, right? To be shepherded by God is to know that God is near. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd, Psalm 23 gets this so well, a shepherd leads the sheep, Psalm 23 says, right? To the green pastures, to the still waters. So a shepherd thoughtfully carefully, kindly, gently leads us to where we might not know to go for sustenance. But God cares so much as a shepherd that you be sustained, that you be provided for, that you be nurtured. God leads us to the places we need to go for sustenance. Right? A shepherd is on the lookout for any kind of predator or enemy that could do harm to the sheep. Jesus very much uses this images this imagery for himself, right? There's a thief that tries to steal kill and destroy, but I am the protector. I will lead towards life. And then when you put these two together, it's can't be it can't be accidental, right? If in verse 10 we're talking about a king, it really would be important for the people to know that he, like if 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 Shepherd would have been the only image that might not have been super comforting because they're still up against some really serious threats right um, there, there's not hope that these threats are going to go away without the hope that God is a king but the risk of saying just God is king nobody would ever expect to have a personal relationship with a king right nobody even expect, expect to even have a personal interaction with a king in the course of their lifetime so to pair these together this would be the last thing I'd encourage you to consider not only is God King coming as king to make high places low and valleys high to to bring a sense of leveling to the playing field, but also as a shepherd. And not just a shepherd, yeah, if you want to know what kind of shepherd, I just, the the warmth of this imagery, right? This is the last thing I would highlight for us, that this shepherd gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Mm, That is good, isn't it? if we could allow ourselves to be captured by the story that's already been told to us, if we, were allowed, if we allowed ourselves to get through the defenses, to get through the fears, to get through the doubts, to get through the hurts, and actually believe that the same king who makes the ground level that addresses the superpowers that advance evil, that addresses the predators, the thieves that try to steal, kill, and destroy, not only does all those things, but then tenderly gathers us in his arms. And that's that's a beautiful image and carries us close to God's heart. I just hope that that's something as you as you cut through all or hold the space for all the stuff that will happen over these next couple of weeks of Christmas, just remember that when we're looking at that baby, remembering the Advent story that God has come in the flesh, remembering that God is drawing near, that God is moving towards us, the Advent kind of language, that God doesn't want us to just kind of look on with awe in some kind of removed type of a way, right? God wants us to know this is God coming for us, to us, with us as Emmanuel, that this is a king who makes high places low and makes valleys high, who brings all of us to the abundant and plentiful harvest, and it is a God who is tender and warm, who's not just near to us, but who gathers us up in God's arms. And that holds us close to God's heart. boy. the degree that we let that land in our hearts and minds and souls, that we are being held close to the heart of God, and that Christmas is the punctuation mark. Christmas is the declarative statement from God that God has drawn near. And that this is who God is. The God who is a king who brings the kingdom, but who is also a shepherd, who gathers us near and holds us close to our hearts. May we let the power of those come all the way in. Amen? Join me in prayer, will you? Well, God is, we're in this, all year long we're in the church calendar. All year long we're reflecting on passages that tell us who you are. But there is something really unique about Christmas time. Um, on one hand, it's so cool because everything's amped up everywhere right now. This Every part of our kind of culture is. Um, Lined up around this, playing songs and decorating and trees and exchanging present lists and all these things. So we're we're all at this high frequency on one hand. And then on the other hand, the noise of all that makes what you lift up in this passage hard to do, that you say that the glory of the Lord is meant to be seen by all of us through the entrance of God into the human experience. You say that as we prepare the way for you, that you want us to hear your voice. You want us to hear your voice. That matches right up with how Jesus talks as the good shepherd, that the shepherd speaks to his sheep and the sheep hear your voice. So God, my hope and my prayer is on one hand very simple right now, and yet on the other, I know it's still profound and deep. I am praying that in this Advent season, we will hear the voice of God. I am praying that we will hear your voice, that we will see your glory. And sometimes we can treat that as such a mystical and even faraway thing, an elusive kind of a thing. And yet remind us that to hear your voice is to be reminded of who you are, to be reminded of who we are in you. That if during this group reflection, if there was just one point where our heart stirred a little bit, that is very likely that was you speaking to us. And we should pay attention to those little things that when we reflect on the need to prepare you the way, if we feel a little stir there, that's you saying, that's me, that's me saying to you, I want to be all the way in your life. I want you to be all the way in my life. Let this Christmas 2023 be the time we prepare the way. If when we're reflecting on a king who makes high places low and valleys high, if that stirs a little something in us, let us pay attention to that. That very well could be the voice of the Lord speaking to us about the ways that we can look to you for hope. We can trust even when it seems that the dark night will never end. that this is true at a corporate level, but it's true in our own lives, the good news, the comfort of a coming king. As we think of the coming God as a shepherd who leads us to where we need to be led, who guides us, who feeds us, who nurtures us, who protects us, who gathers us close, who holds us close to your heart. If any part of that stirs even just a little bit of us, let us trust that that very well may be the voice of the Lord speaking to us, saying, that's who I am. That's who you are. That's what I want you to think about this Christmas time. So God, I love the kind of integration of on one hand, the loudness and the boldness of this passage, you say, go to the mountain out, shout it at the top of your lungs. God is here. And then the way we hear it often feels more like a little whisper, a gentle little nudge. I think of the two men who met you on the road to Emmaus, didn't even know you were there until well after the fact, and looking back they said, did our hearts not burn when he talked to us? At the same time, you are shouting from the mountains and it may be just the slightest little sensation in our heart that makes us alert to it. But let us learn to trust that. Let us learn to respond to that. To trust that you are who you say you are, that you have come as you have said you have, and that we are who you say we are. So God, we've got this chance corporally now to listen to the words of these songs, to sing them back to you, to listen for your voice. So may we trust that this is indeed your hope for us that we would see the glory of the Lord that we would hear your voice amen All right I want I want to let this I want to let this go one more round but I want to do my, my like little nerd thing and talk about where a word comes from when we sing this next part, hallelujah, you can feel it in here, can't you? Something inside, he just wants to burst out. But what are we saying when we say hallelujah? Do you remember what this means? It, it's a compound of two words. Hallel means praise. Praise, Yah. You know, Yah short for? Yeah, it's short for Yahweh. It is an Old Testament response to the revelation of God whose name was Yahweh, and hallelujah was almost like this, when you don't have the right words, is this like guttural saying, I have got a little bit of a sense of who this Yahweh God is, and the covenant that this Yahweh God has made with me, and what this Yahweh God has done for me, and what this Yahweh God is going to continue to do for me, and so when you sing hallelujah, it's almost like you're acknowledging, I don't have the right words in this moment, but I am going to sing praise to the Yahweh God who has revealed God's self to me. So some of you may want to say it before we do this one more time. So let's keep going. Let's keep going.